What is going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to Kafaro Cast. Uh, Frank here across the table from the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron Snyder. And we got a really good friend of ours, the red handed bandit, the one, one of the only. West. <laughs> the one and only was Ben uh, Dover. Yeah. <laughs> ben Bin Laden Gatormson. How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Frank got it. Gatormson. Oh, That's pretty good, Frank. One in a row. Yeah. Yeah, not many people do. So they look at it, they're confused, and then they're scared, and then they butcher it. And then you look in their eyes and steal their soul. <laughs> yep. You've got to figure it out, man. <laughs> Why do you think we only talk on the phone? I'm keeping my soul. Yeah, right? <laughs> Always blocking your FaceTime calls. <laughs> <laughs> ben, tell us a little bit about what you do in the industry. Um, I guess the, the short of it is I, I work in sales and marketing for, a, uh, a fairly large firm that's based out of Ohio, um, called Outtech. Um, we, we handle products all across the outdoor space. I mean, everything from fishing, camping, firearms, ammunition, um, a bunch of archery stuff. You know, that's kind of where my, that's my wheelhouse. Anybody that, that knows me, that's followed me, that's kind of been, you know, the last, oh God, almost 20 years I've been in the archery industry. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good, it's a good gig. I, I travel quite a bit for work, but, uh, you know, I get to deal with, you know, things that I'm into. So. Yeah, for people that don't uh, don't follow Ben, he he swings both ways on the side of the archery. He uh, you're a trad guy and a compound guy, right? Yeah, um, I uh, I'm definitely my background is much more compound. I've I've bow hunted for I don't know probably 20 years, and you know here I think it was the same year Aaron got into traditional, and it, it might have been with some encouragement son from of a Aaron. Bitch. <laughs> Yeah. It, well, let's break that down. Remember, we had another redheaded stepchild that wanted to hop on and, oh, yeah, let's all do trad. And he made it, what, about five minutes? I think his name, I don't want to drop any names, Ty Stubblefield. <laughs> <laughs> you were the, I were the only yeah. ones that stuck it out. Yeah, I think, it's, you know, I mean, in that, in that group of friends that we kind of have mutually, I think there were a couple of them that that, that wanted to kind of screw around and play with it and... I mean, it's just, it's so time consuming. I mean, it's, it's such a different game to what compound is. So, um, a lot of dedication, you know, it's, it's a lot more tuning oriented and you can never get straight answers. There's not a lot of experts out there. You know, it's not like you can jump online and learn what you need to do very easily. I mean, there's more and more information readily available, but it, it takes some, it takes some time and some frustration to kind of get through a lot of it, and then you know you've you've seen that I'm sure. So, yes. <laughs> what I was trying to segue into is, uh, if I recall back, there was a, a bit of a, a competition on who was going to stack up more, or fill more tags. Um, wh- what was the end of that, or how how did that end up going? Uh, well, I don't care. We both killed a bunch <laughs> of shit. I think. <laughs> You killed a huge elk. Like, I think I might have killed more, but you killed a toad elk, which pretty much by default put you ahead of me. 
Well, and size size isn't relevant. No, and ask women that. I can tell you, whoever said that, I'll show you a liar. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, yeah, we never really, we never really got together at the end of it and like compared. Not that it mattered. I think we both. I was gonna say I didn't really care. Incredible seasons. Yeah, I was. I it wasn't that big of a competition between Ben and I. Stubblefield one was the one talking mad shit, and then he dropped like third period French dropped out like immediately and then Ben and I kept going but I think um you had an amazing stock in look like the Badlands or not the Badlands the brakes maybe wherever it was on a mule deer that was cool yep. but really I shot my elk and I felt all important and you cranked a fucking tank like a 360 what did that bull score um, I rough scored him. 377 is what the number I came up with. So no matter what, I lost because that's like way cooler. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. But I came back strong. I shot a hell of a mule deer up in the in Alberta. Damn it. Oh, yeah. I got to make well, my and, stance and, here because I shot a raghorn five yeah. by one. I mean, technically, the, <laughs> the mule deer cancels out the elk. I mean, no one really cares and about I, elk. I struggled with with committing fully to trad because of that elk. That was a bull that I'd been after it was the I believe Ty called you a liar season. and said you may have shot it with your compound if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, good <laughs> ginger. Somebody, you know, it is. It, it, it you're going to get that. I mean, people are going to hate, and I could care less. I mean, I'd have been proud of that bull with a compound, having known that I, I chased him for two years. I would but, have been proud what, of that thing with a and, fucking tow missile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I lost him. What What happened was during that that hunt um i had a beat on him the first week of season so um it was hunting in idaho it was the first probably seven days of season i would see him daily in a particular drainage but with the way thermals work and the swirling winds in the hole that he was living in i was like unless he comes out onto the you know the edges or the rim I'm not going to pursue down because I'm just going to blow them out and then I'm never going to see them again. And I had my compound. I packed my compound the first week of season thinking that bull was going to step out at 40 yards and I was going to wound him with a trad bow. Just freaking, I mean, that would be the, the, the worst ending to that story that, you know, I could put together. So I, I did. I hunted with a compound. Um, that year, Ty actually hunted with me in a few days. And I said, you know, if you guys have an opportunity at him, shoot him. But I'm hunting that bull specifically, and I'm going to pass on pretty much anything else. So, um, and then as the season progressed, he, you know, a lot of wolves, a lot of snow that year. He vacated the the drainage that he had been living in, and I wasn't able to relocate him. And, you know, here I'm up on a glassing vantage, and I'm, oh, there's his little six point. There's another bull. There's another bull. And I kind of got to the point where I'm like, why am I just sitting here? waiting for this unicorn to come back when I have all these other opportunities. And so I, I picked up the stick bow and I went in on a, a different bull. I mean, it was sheer luck that I came across the bull that I'd been targeting and I moved in, you know, after watching him a day or two do the same thing with his cows, you know, without any harassment by people. And my goal was to get down to where he went into bed and I got down, you know, kind of heading him off, and 
here from the direction I had come that morning in the dark, you know, where the, the Forest Service trail was, a bull cranks off, and I'm like, it's another hunter. So I'm sitting down here. You know, there's another hunter three, 400 yards up the ridge for me, what I think is another hunter. And I'm, you know, I'm on a timbered north face, and the bull that I'm pursuing is on a, you know, a sage open hillside with eight or nine cows pushing them down. And my goal is just to continue down on the timbered face and kind of head them off, meet them in the bottom where he goes to bed. And uh, as the morning progressed, he started to push him down and he started getting in a bugling mask with what I thought was other hunters above me on the ridge. And, you know, after two hours of kind of playing this game, do I drop in? Do I, you know, do I move further down? The uh, perceived hunters above me turned into elk and I had a bunch of cows start filing past me at like 28 yards. And I'm like, Oh, I guess it's not hunters. You know, they, I don't know if they come over from the other basin or I had just slipped around them in the dark and, you know, didn't spook them. But you know, these elks, these cows started filing past me. And then I heard a, a bugle kind of to the back of the group, kind of around uh, the hillside they were on. I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, I'm shooting anything that walks out. You know, I don't care if it's a raghorn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to shoot it. You know, I had my, uh, my recurve, and lo and behold, the bull steps out. I'm like, oh, that's a big bull. You know, I didn't think it was him, or you know, have time to judge or anything. I was able to stop him in a lane, you know, straight down the hill below me at like 28 yards, and um, was able to connect. And he turned and ran straight down the hill, and. Uh, I think he made it about 100, 115 yards. Um, and I, it was out of sight. I thought he had continued to go all the way to the bottom. And, you know, I heard a big crash. And I went down, found my arrow, um, followed it, you know, the blood trail down the hill shortly after the hit. And he was piled up as a doornail. And, you know, I, I mean, that's when I'm walking up on him. I was like, oh, look at his fronts. I'm like, holy crap. You know, I was like floored at I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I don't know how that just happened. So, Yeah, I, I remember when that popped up because that was a little bit later on in the season. Um, I think it was like the 17th is when I killed that. I had, um, I can't remember. I think I had I had shot mine maybe this, like the 7th or the 9th. Or so. Anyway, we were going to Idaho, and mm -hmm. uh, I hate to bring this up again on my ego, but I had missed, uh, I think or, or Avery called it a yacker. A yacker because after you miss you feel like puking um and i missed a yacker uh, <laughs> uh just one of those big north idaho you know kind of crazy um kind of palmated big mass bulls and i was paying attention to what you were doing just because i mean honestly when you get your ass kicked that much with a stick you kind of need the support like Okay, Ben just got one. All right. Okay. Okay. Get my shit back together. You, you want to see somebody else failing just like you are. You well, know what I mean? Well, or succeeding both, right? Like for me, yeah. I I hate to see. Well, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people I love to see fail, but you're not <laughs> one of them. And so when I would see you get one, it was actually more motivation. Like, okay, all right. He's he's getting. I can do it. He got it done. I can do it. And so it was cool when you put that thing down. Um, and I mean, I was super, I was very pumped up. I was like, all right, right on. There's just not, uh, you know, many 
guys doing it with great success at all. You know, like with, you know, when I say great success with, with, I mean, six, seven animals in a season is pretty amazing with a stick. And that's what we both basically had done. So I really, you want to know that the other guy's in misery, but you also want to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that definitely helped me out. And when you put that bull down, I was like, Jesus Christ on his throne. That is a big bull. <laughs> Good God. So, and I know how fat your head is, and that thing dwarfed your head. So I knew it was big, <laughs> especially with the beard. Oh. Right. No, it was, it was kind of, you know, it's bittersweet when you, when you, you, you have an animal that you've been pursuing for some time. And um, I can only, I can only say that's happened a few times where I've been able to, to pursue animals multiple seasons. And it's, it's so rewarding to see it kind of come to fruition to, you know, to, to be successful in that pursuit. Um, because you're constantly looking at, you know, photos from past seasons, past years, videos, stuff like that. And, uh, it, you know, you're, you're right. It's, you know, you, you need to see somebody else's success and sometimes failure to know that, Hey, you know, I'm only human to be motivated by it. So. Well, and I, I think at that time, really, things started to transition or transfer. I mean, there was other guys obviously doing it before you and I had done it, you know, South being, and when I say guys, meaning yep. guys trans- transitioning over from compound to traditional or doing a little bit of both. And, and uh, you know, South was more, one of the more well-known guys and a very effective, very lethal killer. And then, you know, you and I had done it along with some others and had some great success. And, and you still bounce back and forth now. And you um, you shoot a River's Edge recurve, right? Yeah, R.E.R. Chester Floyd. Uh, I think you know Chester. You've shot one, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Chester's awesome. And, I mean, honestly, you know how, like, the bow is great. It didn't, like, well, the way the grip was it didn't fit my hand perfectly but everybody's a little different and, and it's a it's yep. a it's a fast bow i mean that thing pumps out some decent speed and it's it's forgiving and chester even though i'm not sure he's got fuzz on his nuts yet you want to talk about a hell of a guy uh chester's the guy yeah. you hope your daughter marries right just a good dude yep he's, he's one of the most genuine one of the nicest guys that, that i can i can say is is my friend i mean he's his family I and mean, you can see where he gets it if you you spend any time with his family i've spent time with his family and stuff like that they're he comes from, you know, salt of the earth type people. So lay out your setup for that year with the stick. And then, uh, we're going to kind of transition over. Cause we just kind of go, go into the bows. Frank setting up. We'll talk to you about that here in a minute, but what were you shooting that year for bow arrow poundage, all that jazz? Uh, the bow was, uh, I believe it was a 54 pound, um, vital, um, from RER. Um, it was a 60, a 60 inch. So not super long, but, uh, you know, the static tip part of that, you know, those recurve builds are where they get the performance. Um, I, I don't recall the speed I was shooting, but I know I was shooting a, a 350 spine arrow with a, uh, a hundred grain steel insert and a hundred and 150 grain points. So I basically, I had 250 grain stacked up front, you know, did the bear shaft tune, got it to tune, you know, got head, you know, got the optimum arrow length for coming off the bow. And, you know, I was shooting a five inch, uh, shield cut feather and, you know, I had a wrap on the back end of it and that, that platform, I mean, I've, I've always been a proponent of, of weight forward. I mean, 
back when I lived in Minnesota, you know, I was wet behind the ears still in the archery side of things, kind of just getting into it. I, I played around with the weight system that Gold Tip made. They made those little brass weights that you could stack behind the insert. Yeah, it was super awesome with a 30-inch long yep. Allen wrench. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and, and that's kind of, it's becoming more prevalent now. I mean, you see it in, like, the Day 6 designs that you guys are doing, and other companies are coming out with different things. Victory has a, a steel insert option in their arrows. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the, but I, I'm not the father of that, but I've been shooting that kind of setups, heavier spines with, with more weight forward, you know, in that, you know, 17 to 20, you know, percent range for more than a decade. And you get better penetration, you get, you know, and, and every animal that I shot with my reefer that year with that setup was a pass through my antelope. I shot, you know, three turkeys, my elk passed through and then was was broken off by the offside leg on the reaction from the shot. So my broadhead and everything came off the backside and my arrow was broken in two pieces, you know, on the elk. Um, my mule deer that I shot in, in its bed, um, and there's a, a video of that on my Instagram from the, the cut bank. That was a pass through my whitetail in Illinois that year. You know, it was a pass through. I mean, all these, all the, all every animal I shot, and a pass through with with traditional equipment. I mean, you don't you don't see that terribly often. But you know, I was shooting a, a single bevel um, that year. I had cutthroats, um, and I mean, that setup just it worked really well. So I mean, in, in terms of the arrow setup, that's just. You know, and, and right now I'm shooting a very similar setup. I'm even a little heavier. I think I was I was right at or around 600 grams with my finished arrow weight that year. And I think I've, I've actually gone up a little from there. So yeah, I'm at like 630 right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I bumped my FOC was it just as a byproduct of tuning. I went from 17 to 24, something like the 18 to 24. I'm, I haven't noticed. I mean, high FOC is high FOC. I haven't noticed. It'd be hard to quantify that. I mean, heavy arrow is heavy arrow. High FOC is high FOC. But it was definitely an eye-opener for me even more so. When I was like you, I've, I've been shooting heavy arrows and, oh, I was probably more like 13 to 15% FOC, like 175 up front on a, you know, 550-grain arrow. So still fairly high for this day and age. But when you start blowing through animals with a stick firing a whopping 175 feet per second or less, and you're not getting pastures with a compound, it's an eye opener to people like, I just got in this huge, well, not huge argument, but argument with Tim Gillingham. And I was like, Tim, I'm passing through animals with a stick. Um, you can't tell me that doesn't transition over to a compound. Like you, of course, people should shoot heavier arrows. And he was more of the, mentality of shoot 325 with a 400 grain arrow and a mechanical broadhead and there's a lot of debate about that but um it was an eye-opener for frank on your on his mule deer this year i mean he shot a fixed blade and heavy heavy probably a heavier arrow than you really even needed like 560 some wasn't it uh 558 yeah yeah that thing went basically full length went right in in front of the uh rear quarter there caught a little bit of the rear quarter went in right in front and came out the neck um so yeah i was definitely sold i just think it gives you a lot more room for basically room for error you know if you don't make a perfect shot 
you're, that thing's still going to blow in there um, with a lot of yeah. a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And compared to you know, you make a marginal shot with a lighter arrow with a, an expandable, it's going to possibly bounce out or deflect or you know what whatnot. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big proponent of mechanical heads with a compound just because you have that advantage in in performance and. Um, I, I had a very similar shot this year on my elk that, you know, that you had on your mule deer and I'm shooting a, a grave digger rod head from Bloodsport, And, you know, my, my arrow weight is right around 550. And my elk was quartering hard away to the point of, I cut part of the ham when the arrow entered at 40 yards and I buried to the, to the knock. So the offside shoulder stopped that arrow, but when you have an inch and three quarter cut uh, expandable or inch and uh, three eighth cut expandable, I mean you're 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 making some devastating damage on the internals of that elk. And that elk went, you know, it was an evening hunt. He went uphill probably, I don't know, less than a hundred yards, and he was dead in a bed. You know, so I, I backed out. I always back out if, if unless I see him fall, especially in the evening, because the last thing I want to do is bump something. So I uh, suffer from that. Actually, I'm not very good at backing out. <laughs> Wait a solid <laughs> ten minutes, <laughs> dude. It's bad. It's it's mm-hmm. it definitely is is tough. But to be perfectly, I mean, the last two elk, I made good shots on, but I backed out on them because it was evening. And because I wasn't 100% positive that they ran over 100 yards and fell over, like so many animals do that you put the arrow in the pocket with. And I backed out on them, and um, I found both of them, you know, less, either in the bed or within, you know, maybe 90 feet. I think uh, the elk I killed in 2017 um, and that was that was a the same broadhead, Gravedigger expandable, um, cut on contact. Um, I actually got two arrows in that elk. Uh, one arrow was high, but the elk seemed unfazed by it. And when he stands there, you know, inside your effective range, and offers a second shot, you're going to take that second shot on an elk just because they're so strong. And my my first arrow actually didn't get any vitals. It was it was high enough to where. It got up, it didn't hit the spine, and my second, my follow-up shot is what killed him. But, you know, he, he ran over, bedded, and he had his head up, and it wasn't the immediate tip-over that you like to see. So it was a thing where I just, I stayed there and I watched him until I couldn't see him anymore through the binos at like 100, and, you know, I, sh- I shot him. My first shot was a little less than 60, and my second shot was a little longer than that. And uh, he was bedded at like 170 yards, and the cows like hung out. They like didn't take off. So I'm like, well, if I go over and blow the cows out, he's gonna go with them if his head's up. So I just sat and watched him, and I came back the next morning, and he he had gotten up out of his bed and made it about 90 feet and was dead, and he was cold the next morning. And that that was my biggest bull to date. And if I would have tried to push or tried to, you know, work in. Um, I would have, I would have blown him out of the country and never found him. So, I've talked a lot ab- about this, which is a good subject because you're you're on the kind of the other end of the spectrum, um, 
about, you know, know when to hold them, when to fold them type of a thing. Um, you know, there's a time when you probably should be more aggressive and there's a time, uh, you know, to back out and, and only experience is what, uh, you know, I <laughs> only experience gets you there. Uh, in my opinion, you can't, I mean, there's going to be a time where you may have a, an animal that um, you might need to push to get it to bleed again to where you can follow it mm -hmm. and potentially get another shot or you'll never find it because it's not mortally wounded or without some help, it's just not going to go down fast and it may not bed up or whatever. But then there's different, you know, pushing an animal in something like where you shot your mule deer doesn't really make any sense because you can see so far. You might as well just yeah. wait it out and rebed it and then maybe make a second stock fresh, right? Like pretend it never got hit and come in uh, on it again just to get another arrow in it. And then there's a time like you're talking about where especially if there's any private land involved, if there's, you know, different, uh, when I say private land, you know, you push them into land you can't get permission on or it's thick forest where tracking it is a nightmare. There's a very yep. strong argument to back out. I um, think uh, one thing you've said that's been misinterpreted before is run them down, quote yeah. unquote. You don't literally mean run them down. No, I don't, the, but people, <laughs> <laughs> one person specifically took it, just run at them. The, <laughs> <laughs> and people actually take advice from him. Um, you know, and I'll be interested to see uh, what you think about this. When I say run them down, meaning uh, hypothetically the three of us are, are hunting and we call in a bull for you and I call in a bull for Frank. And, uh, you know, Frank gets a, uh, a marginal um, uh, hit, you know, and let's say that that hit is a one lung hit. Um in my uh, opinion, there is a point where you may need to chase them down to keep them bleeding to where they get weak enough with because they'll live off one lung that's striking yep. while the iron's hot to stay behind them, keep them bleeding in the hopes they get weak enough and dumb enough to do something where you get another shot because mm -hmm. the chances are just, you know, the quote unquote, let's let them lie and come back. You're going to come back to a pool of coagulated blood in an empty bed yep. and no elk. Now, I don't mean run around like a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, there's got to be a thought process behind it, meaning, yeah. all right, Frank, you stay knocked up. Um, I'm going to look at the ground, and Ben's going to look at the ground and look up and glass ahead of us, and we're going we're gonna to follow this blood trail with um, a methodology that we're going to either find it and shoot it, or we're going to find that we need to push it harder to get it bleeding more to stay on it, to, to basically get it weak. Cause the less blood in it, obviously the less it's thinking, it's not, it's not going to be making very good decisions where it might with, uh, you know, a full body of blood. Do you, yeah. I mean, do you there, agree there's a point or where an, <laughs> agree, disagree with yeah, that? Yeah. There's a point where an animal just gives up, like from a respiratory, a circulatory standpoint, they've lost enough blood. They don't have the oxygen built up in their, in their blood because their, 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 their lung function is half of what it is. And you're, you're putting physical effort into that animal to try to escape. And I, I, I have been in this, these situations. Uh, and I think there definitely is a time and a place for that, but it's, it's so hard to, to be able to judge that. And, you know, I had a situation several years back in North Dakota, this is probably 10 years ago where, where I had stocked in on a, 
a, a really nice mule deer and um, made a shot um, and I hit scapula at a, at a decent distance. I think it was right around 70 yards. Um, and I was shooting in expandable and that arrow got just a few inches of penetration and that buck, you know, did the mule kick, walked up the valley and anybody that's killed a lot of animals with a bow and watched him drop, his tail was doing that flicker, you know, that you see, you know, white tails do it. I've seen mule deer do it when you shoot them and they, they run off and then they stop and then their tail starts flickering. It's like they don't know what happened. I don't know what it is, if it's like a nervous thing or what, but typically that's right before you see them fall over. And that buck worked up the draw, and it was windy, and, you know, it was it was probably probably a bad choice to take that shot in the conditions I was in, but it just it felt right when I hit my back wall and I was settling my pen. It's like the wind stopped and everything like that, and... You know, when you when you take those those shots, you definitely you know put yourself up to to potentially wound an animal or lose an animal. And this particular animal, it was it was just a couple inches, you know, a couple inches to the left, a couple inches lower, and it would have been you know right through the pump house. He'd have ran off and died. And that's just a a risk that you take when bow hunting. But back to what we were talking about, that he worked up the draw. He bedded underneath this giant mud cliff. It was. 60 yards. It was a 60 yard shot because I climbed up and around him and I got above him on this, this mud cliff. And it was a 60 yard shot at like a 40 degree angle down. So that's what the cut was. Mathematically, and you're I, pushing 78 yards, I think, if I did the math yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, but I already had, a, you know, one arrow in this buck and it's like, when you, when you have an opportunity, shoot. And I shot, and, um, you know, I didn't didn't hit him where I needed to hit him the second shot, and he ran up the hill, and my second shot ended up um, somewhere. I think it, it severed, like, one of his his tendons that work his, his, his rear leg. That I don't know if it's called the Achilles tendon. That's kind of at the back of their ham. But it severed that tendon. So now he's got a bad wheel on the on the front side and a bad wheel on the back side. And he's still managing to 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 you know stay mobile and get away. And I I stocked up on him right at last light after that second arrow. And he was at forty yards in a bed and I drew back and I was shooting a prototype rest for a company that I had been working for at the time. And I realized my rest wasn't functioning properly. It wasn't coming up and down the way it was designed to. So I kind of dropped back below the the rise that I was hiding behind, screwed around with the rest, got it working again, popped back up, and he was gone. So now we're into day two. I followed blood probably half to three-quarters of a mile in the snow across this draw in the Badlands up the other side and I had my hunting partner that was with me at the time up perched on a, on a glassy lookout. I'm Which like, is super smart watch. to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, watch, watch for this buck. Let me know what happens. We had cell service. So 
we were able to communicate. Let me know if you find him. And I followed his blood right into where he had bedded that night. And neither one of the shots were, were, were lethal in, in the sense of he was going to die within minutes kind of a thing. So in those situations, you just have to, I feel like you have to keep trying, you know, use, use your, your stock abilities, use your, your, your hunting abilities to the best that you can and get in and get another arrow in and get a lethal arrow. And I followed him. I bumped him. I followed him. I bumped him. I finally got another shot. Uh, I missed that shot. It was rushed. He was moving. It was at a substantial distance. Um, and then toward the tail end of that day, I pursued this deer all day long, you know, cause he can't really, he can't really leave the country that he's in. It's not like he's just going to up and go up one of these, these big bandland, you know, drainages and up and over the top. He's, he's barely mobile. And he ended up, I followed him. And at one point I got to the point where he was wobbly leg, like walk, walk, walking through, you know, through this opening, stumbling, and then like fell into a bed, like not like looked and lay down, like was, was going and then like almost gave up. And then I'm like, all right, I need to get between him. He was headed down towards this river bottom where there's a bunch of cover. And I'm like, I need to get around him. So to prevent him from getting into that cover. And as I was getting around, I was having to cut through, you know, old crusty snow and stuff. So it was loud. And after a couple minutes laying there, he got up and started moving again. And the next, next point where I saw him, he was into the river cover and actually crossing the river. Um, on very thin, very sketchy ice, like barely able to keep his, his footing. Cause it was fresh ice. It was all slippery, but he made it to the other side, which just happened to be, uh, uh, a national park where you can't uh, really do anything about it. <laughs> and well, that's, that's, that's debatable. That's debatable. <laughs> Let's talk about that. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> So was it an evasive species? You, kind of, oh, you throw your arms up in the air. You're like, well, God dang it. What do I do now? And it, it's the kind of thing. Instead of what you, would you Jesus do, me, it's I'm, what would Green Tree do? He'd go in that park. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an archival offense, apparently. So. <laughs> um, We're going to but, hell. Savage. No, so, it's too soon. So, <laughs> Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... At that point in time, it's like, no, I'm screwed. No, unless that deer magically decides it needs to come back across this, this river, I'm like, shit out of luck. And we, we had one day left to hunt and I was like trying to call like the, the rangers and stuff like that. I mean, where are we at with this? What, what can I do this deer across the river? I couldn't get a hold of anybody that could give me an answer on it. I mean... When it comes to recovery, I think once it's in there, you can't really do anything. And you had to chalk it up to, um, you know, a lost animal. Had it had I been probably a little more aggressive in that situation and just got on his track and just charged at him, I probably would have wore him down enough to where I could have walked in and shot him. And instead, I was, I was more tactful about trying to find out where he bedded and then work in and get a shot on him after he bedded. So, 
Yeah, the the door certainly swings both ways on that, and and sometimes you do get you eat a big shit sandwich, and other times from being very aggressive, it it pans out. And I I think a lot of people's collective of experiences is what well I don't think I know like I have been super lucky being aggressive mm-hmm. but um part of that was also in the compound side of things I could shoot for and so being super aggressive in yep. having an animal pop up at a hundred if you can hit it it's 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 obviously going to pan out better for you but you know you you talk about like you were saying with um a lot of people would have let that deer bed where you took the first, the second shot where it was bedded. I have gotten into major arguments where don't shoot it again. Just let it, let it stay there. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's not going to die. Like, what are we letting it lay there just so it can recuperate? We got to strike while the iron's hot here. Like it's going to get back (laughs) up. And it, it, you know, a stomach hit animals, totally different story. Let it lay, yep. right? Like, exactly. there's an arguable point for the evening that you might want to get another arrow into it because coyotes could get on it. Um, you know, whether the coyotes eat it or just push the living crap out of it where you can't find it. Uh, but a morning gut shot hit, you've got eyes on. No sense to, it's boring as hell. Just watch it. Um, you know, it's horrible yep. as that sound unless it's a gimme. I mean, you know, but dude, like you said, that's, you only learn that shit from experience. Well, and then once you have that experience, you've, you've got a pretty strong opinion on on that. And I think that's where every scenario is different. And if you're never going to duplicate the same thing. Well, this just happened. And that's why I that. think people, yeah, I think that's why people, that's why people have such a strong opinion. Well, one time it, I did it this way and it worked. So that's the right way to do it. And it's, there's so many variables that you need to take into consideration. I mean, that, that out dad, I ran it down, literally ran it down like an idiot because I thought, okay, it's been X amount of hours, 12, 14, whatever it was, it's gotta be having some problems. I should be able to keep up with it even as a human, which I was. Um, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was better because it's such a vast area, no blood, while the snow was on the ground, it made zero sense for me to just hope I'd watch it walk for four or five hundred yards that I'd find it again, dropping in these crane like drainages and coolies and shit. Um, you know, I was more of the idea of I'm just gonna run. I mean, I looked funnier in hell running, you know, like a fat Laura Ingalls Wilder running across the prairie, but <laughs> I was able to keep up with it, and so that was a big yep. help. But reverse that night before first shot chasing after it's not a smart thing to do um you know what i mean because it's still got adrenaline in it it's not sick it's sick but it's not sick like it is 12 to 14 hours later and so that's when you weigh it out so exactly Mm, well on a brighter side of things who all do you rep for with your rep groups so we can throw you some love well um I'll, i'll i'll go through a couple of them so i work with uh Recently, we just added Black Diamond, so I've got some of their mountain products, uh, trekking poles, headlamps, lanterns, um, stuff like that. And funny thing is, I've, I think I've heard you say that they're kind of more anti-hunting Yeah, yeah, yeah. on the podcast, and they're owned, the, the parent company that owns Black Diamond also owns Sierra Bullets. Mm, I've, I've so, heard that. So, 
So to, to say that they're kind of anti-hunting, and they make great stuff. I mean, they make gloves. I mean, that's another side of their business that we work with. Um, but we're we're a, we're a hook and bullet type uh, agency, so we're dealing with the hunting and the fishing accounts. But yeah, to, to reiterate on that, Black Diamond is a you know they just keep their their opinion open and to themselves. They might not be you know out there really supporting and doing a ton for it, but at the same time they're they're not against it. You know, a lot of their their custom customer base is is on the other side of the the argument. And they don't want to get caught up in that. So, Well, I think it's probably who you talk to as well. So I'm glad you mentioned that because, believe me, yeah. it was blatantly anti with the people that I talked to. But I didn't – Yeah, that doesn't mean – well, let's look at JetBoil. I constantly get JetBoil's mm-hmm. pro hunting. They sell the Sportsman's Warehouse. I'm like, they're pro money. <laughs> talk to the yeah. people at the top of the food chain. They fucking hate hunters. Ask them. They'll tell you. They, yeah. they told me at the OR show. It would have been, I mean, literally, like, it was one of those deals where I'm like, hey, I'm in the hunting industry, and you would have thought I had a horn coming out of my ass. You would have thought that you were ginger. W- worse than that. I would have had, like, six <laughs> little kids in my duffel that I was taking home that I stole from the show. I was like, holy shit. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've got a bunch of black diamond gloves and some headlamps and stuff like that and i was like sitting here thinking god lord I, you know like is this valid like is this legit because i know what i had heard from that group but i mean obviously that you're going to hear that from a maybe more of a backpacking side of things um compared to what the actual root of the company's about exactly yeah and you know i mean companies are in business to make money and sometimes they have to channel their their reaction or their opinion or their you know, for the the audience that they're in front of, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's kind of a crummy way to look at it, but you know, it is what it is. And I mean, there are companies that support and fund anti-hunting and there's companies that, that say, Oh, we don't like that. And it's the ones that are like supporting and funding the anti-hunting groups that I feel like, you know, need to be called out on that. And I can, I can, you know, I can I can say with confidence that, you know, having both brands under the same umbrella, I mean Sierra Bullets is a is a target shooting, you know, match hunting brand. It's got a lot of heritage. It's, you know, one of the original bullet manufacturers. You know, they they make great stuff and they're very pro hunting. So No, that's but good to, to know. Move on to other other lines, um, you know, uh the, the Grave Digger broadhead by Bloodsport, you know, their arrows as well are, uh, are a line that we work with. That's, um, that's a pretty good one. Um, Obsession Bows, you know, part of the Arcus family we work with um, that uh, I know you guys are starting to kind of dabble in a little bit. Yeah, I'd shot them before because when we were looking for Frank uh, a bow this year, um, that when I, you know, when I shot a bunch of bows in 17 to figure out, um, kind of what I was going to shoot, um, the, the biggest thing, which I immediately told Frank, I'm like, dude, the tunability of that bow for me is, is good. Cause I can really, um, I, I like working with specific, some bows more than others cause they're easier to, to tune and not just because of the dynamics of the cam, but just how the bow is built in general. Uh, some are more user friendly than others. And, and I mean, not only that, you guys put out good speed and uh, decent brace heights and overall just a fairly, you know, forgiving bow. Um, 
Yeah, I would imagine you guys are probably growing at a fairly decent rate now. I would think, from what I've seen. Yeah, they've they've been around for for a number of years now, and and um, you know when they when they jumped on scene, they, the the brand kind of wowed everybody. It was a it was a particular year when you know a lot of the bigger manufacturers really didn't have you know a substantial change to their flagship model and you know stuff like that and obsession came on and like floored everybody and this was several years ago but they've gradually started to build on that and they offer you know more camo options they, they offer a really customizable platform um off the top of my head I, I don't recall how many camo patterns they offer but it's way more than anybody else they come with uh, a really high quality string a custom-made string by America's Best right from the factory, so you're not dealing with, like, a factory string set that you have to replace right out the gate. And then, you know, arguably the performance, I mean, they're top of the pile in any category. If you're looking for a 33-inch axle axle with a 7-inch brace height, you know, they're, performance-wise, nobody's going to be faster than, than where they're at. You know, they have a um, a bunch of different bows, you know, for in terms of, Axle to axle length. I mean, you, you, they've got an XL model that's a, you know basically in that 35 axle to axle six and a half brace category. That's a 350 IVO. They've got a five, a six, and a seven inch brace height model in that 33 axle to axle category. That you know respectively 370, 360, and 350 IVO depending on the brace height. What, what they've did got you, a compact. What did you order, Frank? I ordered the FXL. So, yeah, I was talking to Ben um, a few weeks ago, and he was getting a pack ordered, and we just got to talking about bows, and I was letting him know I was kind of in between bows right now and looking at a few different companies, and um, he brought up Obsession, and it's something that you and I had talked about is Obsession bows, and, you know, the basically that they're kind of the top of the pack as far as specs go and the shootability and um, tunability and uh, talked to Ben a little bit and let him know I liked a longer axle to axle bow and he suggested the FXL and one thing that um, I think people out west are a little bit concerned about is um, I think they had like a 90% let off for a while there but they, uh, they can, are we able to say that they're coming out with the, the 80% yeah. mods now? Yeah, so they, so yeah the, there's, there's some states that basically don't allow the use of a bow that has a that much let off and you know they do have the ability to to manipulate the draw stop on those bows, and they have a they're you know they're working on a you know basically a factory edition that that allows for you know in that eighty category. So you fall into all local and state game laws for for particular areas. So well, and with a bow like at that, that's six and a half inches of brace height. How long is that? Is that thirty five or thirty seven? I think it's thirty five. Yeah, so 35 inches, six and a half brace height, IBO 350. You know, in layman's terms, you know, the bow is not going to shoot 350. No bow is because you obviously add D-loop and a peep. But you're you're looking at being able to fire at a 28 and a half to 29 inch draw, 500 grain arrow, you know, upwards of that 280 feet per second range, which is, you know, somewhat unheard of, um, you know, in that 280 to 290. And that, I mean... 
that is that makes a fat man happy. Um, <laughs> and, and that's just hard to do anymore. Most bows are IBO and 15 feet per second less than that or more. Um, and even they lie about those a little bit. So you hit that 350 mark, it allows you to put a pretty heavy arrow down range. And when that brace height, especially when you have a string stop, six and a half to seven, you're in pretty dang good shape as far as forgiveness. And, and you know, I mean, you can talk about the speed and the, the you know, the axle to axle spec, the brace height and stuff like that. But one of the big things, you know, and I've, I've, I've shot primes for the last several years and I've really loved them. But shooting, shooting this bow, I mean, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Cause you know, you get, you get kind of stuck in your head that, Hey, this is a good bow. Um, I'm shooting the best that I can. I, I was more impressed shooting the bow than I was by the specification. So the specifications that the bows have are already impressive. But to be honest with you, what sold me personally, and you know, I'm, I'm biased. I, I'm working for this company. I'm, I'm helping push their product. But I can arguably say that I've shot every major manufacturer's bow that makes a bow right now. And I don't think that there's a better bow on the shot that feels as good as this one. It's, it's got a smooth draw curve for the speed specifications it has. And it, I mean, there's zero jump. There's zero hand shock. I mean, I would put that bow in, in, in anybody's hand and say, show me a bow that in the hand feels better than this bow on the shot. And I, I mean, I've, that's, any bow that that's on the market available right now yeah i'm I'm excited for frank to get them in so we're, we're going to do a video series just basically the setup and the the tune i, I mean obviously as a byproduct they're going to get to see you know how the obsession shoots and, and how it goes because they're general setup questions to begin with and then obviously we'll go into grouping and tuning after that and, and broadheads and everything else so I, I think I might be as excited as Frank because I'm always liking to tweak stuff, and there's not a lot of tweaking on a piece of wood. It's <laughs> just the brace height. <laughs> That's about it. Yep. <laughs> Move my clicker string a little. <laughs> not quite as intricate as it used to be. I got wood screws. You could put a sight on one of those, probably. Yeah, you got a point. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Shit. Well, what else, uh, as far as obsessions, um, I mean, obviously, people can take a look at the you know, the website and see all the different details. Cause I was just looking, um, definitely some solid stats. What, what other, uh, uh, companies do you, don't you work with stokerized or did you used to? Yeah, no, I'm, I, I could, I continue to have a good relationship with those guys. I'm not working with them, you know, fully on the, on the stabilizer end of things anymore. Um, when I, when I was brought into the, the, the firm that I was into stokerized wasn't a, a, a part of the family of brands, but, um, I still talk to those guys. I still shoot their stuff. In my opinion, it's, it's the best stuff money can buy. Um, their, their systems offer just about any configuration that you can think of and it's all quality stuff. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of, I mean, we're, we're all over the board. I mean, I've in on the hunting side of thing, that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of everything in terms of, you know, stuff that, that you guys would use on, a, on the regular. Um, but, uh, you know, we're working with like Thermosel and, and other brands like that. I was just going to say, I've become a bit more of a fan of, uh, dead downwind and Thermosel products since hunting in the South. Um, you work yeah. with, well, <laughs> 
Man, that thermocell, Jesus, Lord, that is a lifesaver. And I never thought I would use the thermocell, you know, on a backpack hunt. Yep. I tell you what, I will now if it needs to happen because uh, Alabama, man, I, uh, you ever see that on South Park? Alabama, man, <laughs> bitch slap <laughs> button included. <laughs> um, yep. The... Uh, that thermocell, just leave it on inside the blind. You don't need any bug spray or anything. And um, out east, antelope hunting here, especially when you're getting, you know, you're by a water hole or whatever, yeah. it's a game changer. Um, oh, yeah. Especially, in, you know, you get into that high country and you, you hit that time of year when you're around that mosquito hatch, like when those things are just thick, you know, early early in the season. And it's, you know... You know, or, you know, depending on the elevation you're at, I mean, some of the areas that I scout, I'm eight, nine, ten thousand feet in July, is, it seems to be just full of mosquitoes. And, you know, they've got a backpacker model that they came out with here recently that uses the fuel that you would use for your, your MSR, or your jet boy, that isopropyl butane fuel. Yep. It attaches to one of those, super small. And then you just throw that little cartridge in. If you're in a situation where there's a ton of bugs, it's it's under four ounces, and it uses something you're bringing with anyway. For the ultralight guys, it's it's a, it can be a game changer from the standpoint of comfort. Yeah, definitely. Didn't you take one to Canada or something? Or yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, I, I could see that being huge up there with all the freaking mosquitoes in BC and Alaska and all those places. It's just certain times that you get high enough, you don't have to worry about it. You know, you get above twelve, thirteen thousand feet. It's not as much of an issue. But there's other times when the bugs are so bad. I mean, they'll even overpower a thermocell to a certain degree if the wind's blowing. But um, overall, it's nice because you can just throw it by. It kind of you know creates a force field around you which is huge but i definitely think if you're in mosquitoes you should look at one uh you know for damn sure uh frank's gonna have to take over here because i got to talk to andy for a minute we're trying to communicate via hand signals over here and i'm like he only uh, knows the I, air was force not, I was not in the military sir so what uh <laughs> <laughs> so back to the hunting stuff what do you got planned for this year i know we talked about um you, you're kind of a, an elk guy anyway, even though you've killed a lot of big mule deer. What, what do you have, what do you have on, on deck this year? Well, um, I've got a uh, baby due in May here. So just a couple weeks away, three, four weeks away. And we've got a, me and my wife have a two year old right now. He's just about two and a half. So my hands are going to be a little full, but provided uh, things, you know, work out, I'm, I'm going to, I'll probably hunt Idaho for elk, I'll probably hunt. I'll for sure hunt Montana, and then I'll hunt my you know my normal prairie mule deer hunt that that I do in October, and and then kind of wrapping up the fall. I always kind of keep it open ended, just based on you know how stuff has been. You know, if I I've got some friends coming out to hunt elk with me this year, and uh, um, we'll probably have my hands tied up with that quite a bit. So. The muley thing is just kind of a, it fills in the holes, you know, it's, it's, they're easier to kill, they're <laughs> oh easier to God. find, you know. Oh, I don't want to hear it. So, so, <laughs> I, I, I've only hunted a, I mean, every year I only hunt a few days for mule deer, but, um, it, I mean, it typically works out. I think this year I hunted four days, so. Yeah, it definitely looks like you've, uh, you got it, uh, pretty well figured out because, we were talking trash back and forth the other day, and you're like, yeah, mule deer are pretty easy to kill, and you sent me like six photos of different mule deer you've killed with your bow, and they've all been pretty good ones. 
Maybe they just can't see the red hair. Yeah, it's it's you just got to make eye contact, and it just paralyzes them, and then you walk up and shoot them in the bed. So <laughs> that makes sense. I'm gonna dye my hair. Please don't. Good lord. <laughs> Well, you're already married, so you don't have to worry about picking up chicks. No, yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord. Do, you, uh, do you do any rifle hunting? Because you said you're um, one of the companies you work for, Sierra. Sierra, do you do you do much for rifle stuff, or is it are you purely? You a, know, a I I, uh, I just kind of stepped into it here this last year. I mean, I've I, I wouldn't. I, I'm a hunter. I'm not. I'm not just a bow hunter. Um, there's nothing wrong with rifle hunting. It's just I I have you know the archery seasons come first and. I spend most of my time doing that. And this last year I, I picked up a new rifle and, uh, um, just kind of went with old faithful 300 wind mag, you know, maybe do a little long range, but, um, I've been really happy with that. I, I've got a buddy of mine that does some load development and we got that thing. I think I sent you a picture, um, with a Sierra bullet. It's a, like a 210 grain match bullet, a hollow point bow tail. Um, I got down to 0.14 MOA, um, and that's on a, that's out of a, a factory rifle. It's a Bergara long range. It's not just you know your five, six, seven hundred dollar rifle across the counter. It's it's a it's a higher end rifle. I think they're yeah. They're, you can you know, almost consider those to be a semi custom. I mean, they use a lot of a lot yeah. of high end high end parts. I've looked into them a little bit. It sounds like yeah, a dinner. And, I'm gonna have Bagara tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and show what no, I know. Yeah, what I, I know about I mean, rifles. From <laughs> for, for me, I think that's pretty good. I don't know. I mean, I texted you that picture and I asked you, "Is this pretty good?" It was like so, a one whole group, dude. It wasn't 1.4. It was like a clover. He's like, "Yeah, I think I got the no. rifle figured out." I'm like, "You humble bragging son of a bitch." <laughs> Nothing wrong with a humble no. brag. And I, I did, I did kill a, I did kill a buck with that rifle last year. Um, it took me one day, and I found a, found a good buck. I think he went 197. So, but it's just, just a mule deer. So I mean, they're, they're not hard. So. <laughs> oh, I literally hate Ben sometimes. Uh, that's, fun. that's pretty funny. <laughs> well, what, um, what are your plans uh, hunting wise this year? You got anything special going on? Nothing special, you know. With the kiddo coming, I'm kind of trying to stay, stay a little closer to home, you know, um, one, you know, my, my first son, I mean, my, my wife was, has been awesome about letting me get out and, and, uh, you know, spend time in the woods. And, and he actually came up to El Camp a bunch last year, but with two now, I mean, we'll have an infant through the fall and my wife's maternity leave is going to go into October this year. So she'll be home, but I think she'll need a little more support. I mean, I do plan on spending as much as possible, um, you know, in the field, but we'll see. What um, were you thinking when you nothing, decided to have a kid during archery season? Well, no, I'm... The, the He's baby married. Doing, he doesn't have to pull well, out. We, he wasn't thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, it, it, was, it was very strategically planned. So the baby comes in the spring. We have all summer to get the baby into a schedule. And my wife's leave from work goes through hunting season, so I I can I can hopefully be gone a little bit. Well, that's I'll, I'll probably spend a lot of September still chasing elk because my wife will be able to be home and take care of the kids and stuff. So does she? Does she hunt I mean, at all? It's not. It's uh, she. She did when uh, 
when I met her, she did a little bit of rifle hunting. And it's funny you ask that. I think I actually proposed to her in the most redneck way possible over her first animal with a bow. <laughs> did you hide the ring inside the animal or some like super hick thing? No, 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 no. It wasn't that tacky. Um, it was, um, it was, we sat a tree stand. I actually got it all on video and I, I posted it to Facebook a long time ago and somebody took it and it did go viral. I mean, it had, I mean, you should, you should have read some of the comments. I mean, there were, there were positive comments and then there were all the, Oh my God, that's disgusting. You know, you're, you're a disgrace to the human race. You know, all the, the anti hunters got a hold of it. And that was, but that was probably know. just like geared towards the fact that you're a redhead. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Keep Definitely. circling back to that. <laughs> Why you got to bring up old so, shit? Are you bald on top or a full great. woolly mammoth red? Or do you have like a skullet? No, no, I got, I got full head of hair. <laughs> um, don't don't do me bald. like that. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like a strawberry blonde, I guess. I always wear a hat. You've probably never seen me without a hat on. No. So, um, but yeah, full head of hair, red beard. Hot Valley, Yukon like Cornelius. Fell out of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, kind of a mix between Gimli and Yukon Cornelius. I don't know if Christmas yeah. is coming when I see you, or if like <laughs> the orcs are coming. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I'm looking at no, your man, photos now. Not. Here's one of you holding the baby. Hmm. Then there's a dead elk. You're sending mixed signals here. That is a stellar beard with that big bull. Look at that. <laughs> Dang. That is everything that is man right there. And you got Sitka on? Yep. I've been, I've been wearing Sitka for a number of years. There's so many great options, but Sitka being right in town, I got a great relationship with the guys there. Um, love their stuff. So That's it. You got cool. an antelope. I got to get an antelope with the stick bow, man. That's like my goal. I tried last year for a few days. I, I got to get it done. This year's driving me crazy. It's uh, If you're going to do it squad stock, it's pretty challenging. Um I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're down to sit in the blind, you know, it's kind of like with turkeys, turkeys can be, can be killed spot and stock. I mean, you, you proved that here recently. Um, that year that I, I hunted with a recurve, I hunted, uh, I hunted with that heads up decoy. I killed two in, uh, Nebraska with the heads up and I killed one in Montana with, uh, with a blind and a blind is definitely easier. Um, but there's nothing like a 20 pound bird, you know, running at you, gonna spur you in the face if you don't shoot it, too. Where'd you get these Sam so, Squat sneaky feet? I need to get some of them. Um, those, <laughs> those are actually a buddy of mine, Sam Soholt. He made those. I think I'm gonna have Bender make and me some uh, of those because I got some of those Vibram Ninja shoes. I'm gonna have, uh, you know, I could take one of these bear highs, put it on there. <laughs> Yeah, what did he, he use he for He actually those? just went to, like, Joanne Fabrics and got just regular old synthetic fox fur and just got a good two-part epoxy that was flexible and, you know, based at the bottom of the, the shoe. And, I mean, they were slippery as shit. I mean, I fell on my ass several times trying to, you know, walk down a, a steep grade with them. But they were super quiet. I played around with the, the you know, the leather shoes and stuff like that that seem to be, like, all the rave right now. And... They they definitely work, but they're you have to use like a, a leather softener or something to make them 
to soften them up and quiet them up. Man, they went out the room as I fast as like they came. I didn't feel like they were any any quieter than shoes, but yeah, we didn't soften them up. I I ended up wearing like antelope hunting. I brought them with, and then I'm like, damn, these things are not quiet at all. And I just ended up wearing like a super light pair of um, shoe, like Solomon's. But yeah, yep. I don't know. I, I'm sure the leather eventually breaks down, but. I mean, for for me, nothing's going to be as quiet as, uh, you know, any kind of a fleece felt, you know, fake fox fur. In my case, I'm starting to get the idea. I have enough bear I was wearing around. Lambskin, bearskin. It's just going to be quieter. And I, if you would ask me 10 years ago about a lot of this stuff to be silent, I kind of would have just blown it off. Now, knowing that I'm trying to get sub 20 yards, sometimes sub 20 feet, Good Lord mm-hmm. Almighty, everything makes a difference when it comes to noise. The difference in the noise you can make at 8 yards to 28 is about a 1,000% different, and so everything's yeah. just got to be super silent. Yep, unless unless you got something like wind on your side or something like that. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely, you know, game changer when you, when you get it figured out. My, the biggest thing that I ran into is, wearing just socks and stuff like that is, you know, where I'm, I'm chasing all these deer out in the prairie and stuff like that is the, the freaking cactus. There's freaking spots where you can't put a, your full foot down in a 10 foot area. That's not cactus. And yeah. I, I mean, there's, I'd, I'd rather be noisy than not step on a goddamn cactus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hit one in Alberta on my first mule deer, hit one on my second, and then um, I think I steered clear of them last. No, I didn't. I had those Vibram. What I ended up doing was those Vibram, you know, they're not five-finger ninja shoes. They're just like a slip-on Vibram sole, um, and I yep. put uh, a big set of socks over the top of them, and that worked real well. Rocking the uh, aqua aqua shoes or aqua socks whatever they call pretty them. much yeah <laughs> so now it's 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 a game changer especially when you're you know you're you're attempting to get in that close range i mean typically with mule deer um if i'm compound hunting i try to actually stay you know in that 40 yard range 35 to 40 um the last couple bucks that i've killed with a with a bow, I mean that that recurve buck off the cut bank. I mean that was like linear. That was like four yards, and I was twenty feet above it off that cut bank. But the when it comes to compound shooting, I feel like once you get in that that mule deer's comfort zone. Last year, I mean I, I gilly up and everything like that, and I had a uh, the last two years on mule deer, I've um put put stocks in and missed uh one was on a big wide buck uh four by four with um just a big frame deer uh, and he got up out of his bed and he i got to about 43 from where he was which is where i like to be with a compound and he got up and he you know i waited him out he got up he fed toward me and he fed into, you know, that sub-20 range. And this is with a compound. I drew back, found my anchor, got all the way back. Didn't, you know, he had no clue I was there. His face was buried in the brush. 
you know, browsing away. And I leaned over the edge of this little rise I was on and shot. And I didn't hear the thump that you hear when an arrow hits. And I'm like, well, what the hell happened? And then I, I snuck down and around the, the edge that he kind of went down around. And actually, I got a shot at him again at 50, and I missed again. And my arrow <laughs> went into the dirt 20 yards in front of me at 50 yards. And at that point in time, what had happened is, is I didn't lock my sight down, and it had moved on me. <laughs> Um, and my third, my third shot, I was actually able, he still didn't know what was, what was going on. You know, he was like, Oh, what was that? And I was able to actually know what had happened that time. I adjusted my sight, dialed it. So my pins were on, on my sight and, you know, drew back. And by that time he had eyes on me and he figured out what was going on. And, um, that shot, uh, didn't, didn't connect cause he got out of the way of it by the time the arrow got there. So, and then the next day I, I killed a, I killed a good buck at like 20, 29 yards. So it's funny. The last, the last two years with compound, I've missed a good buck the first day and killed a good buck the second day on deer. So, what are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you getting at um, here, Ben? Um, I don't know. Mule deer are mule deer are uh, mule deer are a different animal. They're they're fun to hunt, but they're not elk. So I kind of went the other way. I went from hunting elk way too much to hunting deer now. But a lot of it too is over the counter areas here getting pretty. Um, uh, like way overloaded with people and that kind of a dampener on things and uh, just changing yeah. things up. But the over-the-counter part is gets a little bit rough here. And I've gotten some hate mail. I don't know if Frank has because I was encouraging over-the-counter with caps and limiting out-of-state hunters to lesser tags. And, of course, nobody liked hearing that. But um, it's just, it's pretty populated here uh, for elk. I mean, Colorado's known for the numbers of elk, but it um, – you know, 30, 40 trucks from out of state at the trailhead's pretty crazy. Yeah, there's, I hear it's awesome hunting down there. So everybody should go to Montana because that's why you just no, said no, that. No, 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 no. Montana's I, better. I'm, Bozeman. I'm, I'm, I'm putting in for Colorado this year. Uh, it's too late. Look at Ben's page at the elk he shot. Do not come to Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have like raghorns, just rags here. That's it. You know, the tags are really expensive in Montana and there's, there's, it's it's pretty limited as far as public land goes, so most of the public land is overrun with people. <laughs> no, that's why I hunt Idaho. So no, don't hunt Idaho. I, I hunt Idaho, and I have aspirations to hunt Colorado. And uh, you say ass? You no, know, Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming's a good option too. <laughs> there's a reason why there's so many chocos and flannel shirts and flatty chocos. Choco, ah, whatever. Choco's probably an ice that cream. That sounds perverse. Chocos uh, in the Bozeman area. There's so many elk there. Yeah, have you embraced the uh, the hipster lifestyle there? You rocking the chocos? You can't. What are the Jesus sandals called? You can't throw a dead hippie without hitting a Subaru in Bozeman. I I heard there was a new thing that. Uh, um, you aren't somebody in, in the hunting industry unless you lived in Bozeman and you had a follow adder on your fucking Instagram. Oh gosh. Had a what? <laughs> the, the, you know, the, you can, you can buy a follow adder that 
manipulates your your Instagram page so that it adds followers. Motherfucker, why did like I hear personal about that? Page. <laughs> <laughs> There's a number of guys I know in town that have that. It's like, what's the end goal? What's your what? You no, know, I, I think to myself, I'm like, what's your plan of if you're making a monthly payment to have more Instagram followers? And at the end of the day, what does that get you? I don't know, but you can tell when they're bought because if you've got 100,000 followers and 328 likes after a week, your photo's up, you don't have much of a following. you got a fake following. Russians. Yeah, not, not, not necessarily the engagement that you'd, you'd expect from somebody that had you know, a shitload of followers. So, no, I, I just I wonder what, where, where this is going. I mean, what, what's, uh, what's going to be the next thing <laughs> that... The hunting influencer. We make a lot of jokes about it. So, in my opinion, and I'm going to get bashed after this, if you have not killed anything to speak of, um, what are you influencing? The inability to harvest an animal? Um, If you haven't spent a ton of time um, in the field packing out animals, um, and I usually do get hate mail for this, but whatever, and you have that many followers, I think it's great to influence people to get in the outdoors. That is awesome. But, I mean, would you take advice from a 400-pound man about running a marathon because your social media <laughs> following is huge? No. You you want to talk to the guy that runs marathons. I mean, you don't want to talk to me about running distance. You talk to Cameron Haynes. He's, he's a runner, right? I mean, you talk about yeah. stick bow hunting, talk to talk the clumps, whoever. Um and then you get these guys with these huge social media followings. And, and, I mean, even people with podcasts who've shot 15, 10 animals in their entire lives. Um, where some people kill that in, in a season or less. And nothing wrong with that. But you definitely just want to be sure where you're getting a lot of your you know your info from. Just that it's good, valid info. And this isn't a, a hate thing. It's just a, a, you got to get good info from good, solid people to, to help your learning curve as well. If you're getting bad info, it's just going to make your life worse once you get in the field. And that was one thing nice with you kind of going through the same thing with the stick bow along with others is it was good to bounce stuff um, off of each other kind of as time was going on. Uh, you know, just because I, I knew what everybody was doing. I knew the hunting experience. I knew what we were all going through. Not like we were going through a concentration camp. I mean, like I knew what, what we were all hunting and, you know, experience yeah. level of each person. And it was great. But, um, you know, anymore, and, I, and I'm jaded. Frank doesn't talk about it much, but he's possibly more jaded than me. Nothing better than getting a book of an email because it's something someone told this guy that is totally wrong. And whoever they got that info uh, info from was a quote-unquote industry influencer. And then you have to be polite and say, hey, none of that shit's right. (laughs) But it is what it is. Well, if it was on the internet or or if if it pops up on a computer screen or a phone screen, if you can find it, it's it's the truth, right? Well, heck yeah. Yeah, one thing I want to bring up is I wish... We may have to take this part. I wish people would quit sending us emails asking for free stuff and saying that they're influencers. Like yeah. we've talked about it about a thousand times. Like more than likely, if you don't use our products already and we don't have a relationship, we're not going to send you free stuff. So, um, and Greg, Greg Poole kind of brought this up the other day. You know, we don't, we don't know who you are and we, we kind of keep an eye on, on who's who, I guess out there. And if we don't know who you are and if you're just a, uh, an Instagram person, 
um, don't really, you, you shouldn't waste your time because you're kind of wasting ours. Cause I mean, gosh, my inbox yeah. is just filling up. It's even worse this year than it was last year. People just asking for free gear and they've never used it before. And they're, they're making these promises that, uh, Do you respond to all of them. Yeah. I respond to all of them. Uh, I do not. Uh, <laughs> Eric doesn't not. have the time. So, I mean, he, so I have more, a little bit more. World, just make sure you email Frank. Frank, what's your email? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You, you may not. You're not gonna get the response that you want, but yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's getting a little bit overwhelming at times. You know, I do, we have I do other stuff here as, along with like military orders, and it just uh, it takes up a lot of time um, responding to people. And I feel like a dick if I don't respond. I like to you know at least be professional about it. I just it, had but. an interesting conversation with someone that. Um, had used our product and then went to, you know, another company had given them money in the pack and, and they didn't, they didn't ask us at all. And uh, totally understandable, you know, they, uh, whatever intimidated is what they said to ask. And I got it. But then, uh, one of them had the balls to ask if he could get on the podcast, um, <laughs> because he was uh, needing help promoting something. And I'm like, Hold on, let me, and, and I'm not as nice as Frank. I'm, let me let me repeat this shit back to you. You went with another company, went with the money. You've agreed that product isn't nearly as good. You run our packs when the camera's not on, but we get nothing out of it. And you want to hop on our podcast because our numbers are really good to support you. Repeat that shit back to yourself and let, let me know how it sounds back to yourself because it doesn't sound very fucking good to me. It sounds like we're getting screwed, and, dude, that happens daily, things like that. Yeah, it's crazy. So No comment? Well, I mean, what? <laughs> Ben's not very controversial. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just conduct. It's just, you know, people see one person do it and get something, and, and they feel like they, they're entitled to that as well. And you know, half the time it's just a contest to see who can get something for nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And well, and in some ways it's worth. You know, in some ways people have earned free, um, free gear, money. I mean, in 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 a lot of cases, well, in some cases, well, you don't even have to ask. We'll just you know send it to you. I mean, we take care of you, and you're not exactly um, buying likes and uh, have a hundred thousand followers. But we value your opinion. We value the opinion you give to others. And so, you know, we have a good relationship with you. Um, but, you know, you've also used our products at least off and on for the last few years. I mean, I, you probably, I mean, hell, mm -hmm. I think one of the guys from Stone Glacier lives with you, doesn't he? He used to. Yeah, yeah. So, anymore. Um, that's well, I, I, I think I was in a situation where you, you called me the day after you heard this, but I was in a situation where somebody was promoting a product and speaking negatively of, of your guys's product, but he's never used it. And I was, I was, I wasn't part of the conversation, but I was like next to it. I think it was at like archery league or something like that. And I said, dude, you know, how do you have the ability to speak negatively of, of this product if you've never used it? And so many of these people have experience with one brand and they pump that brand and they, they, rain on anybody else's parade that's in that same category, but they've never used it. So, you know, if you're out there, if you're listening to somebody that has a, a personal experience with something, it's, it's a valid opinion and a valid point. But if you ask them, you know, how many elk have you packed out with, you know, this brand or that brand, you know, and the person looks at you kind of dumbfounded, like, who? 
it kind of lets you know where that opinion's coming from. It's the fanboy effect, you know? It's like he's so into this brand that he's going to promote it over everything and tear everything else down just because he's a fanboy, not because he has personal experience. And I don't think there's a lot of people out there that can say they've used four different major pack manufacturers' packs to the extent of, you know, like you guys or myself, you know? I mean, I've, I've used Kafaru stuff for probably six or seven years now, and I've used other stuff along the way as well, but I can... I can give an honest opinion about something. And I think, I think there's too much information out there with inexperienced users, people that haven't had their, their hands on something or packed out an elk. I mean, most guys pack out, what, an elk every three years? Uh, that might even be there's, a stretch a, there, yeah. Yeah, definitely find somebody that, that knows about the product line you're asking about, you know? Because they're gonna they're gonna talk about their favorite brand more than anything else. So yeah, yeah, and I think that's just the way the industry has been, and it's getting a lot worse in some ways and better in others. Um, I look at it kind of on the um, the side of things, you know, photography. I I because I you know am into that pretty heavily, and you get the same thing on the photography side. Um, you know, especially when you talk start talking about the durability of a camera. You know, one person's durability uh, could be walking around an outside a mall on a rainy day. Well, that doesn't really fit the bill for what I'm talking about. You know, I need to know like serious durability uh, and things of that nature. And so, you know, when you say one man's shit's another man's gold, one man's vast experience is another man's beginner's level. And, and that's what you kind of have what, what you're talking about. And, and, I, and I agree with that. And not everybody's you know, lucky enough to be in the field as others, but that doesn't, isn't an excuse that you need to listen to the person that's unlucky. You might want to listen to the person that's lucky enough to be in the, you know, the field a bit more. Uh, and that goes for everything from arrows, bows, broadheads, obviously all packs are good. Um, pretty much, uh, or the higher end ones, all the higher end bows are good. Um, but there's going to be a few twists and turns aside that may cater from one person to another, um, and that's where you get like the viable intel from guys that have used them all. Cause we start talking about boots. Boots is about the hardest thing to, uh, pick cause everyone's foot's different. I can only comment yep. on if it doesn't leak and how durable it is. I can say what my fit is and how my foot's kind of built. But after that, if I'm telling you to buy this boot cause it's the best, I am full of shit. Cause I have no idea what your foot's like. Well, yeah. And I, I've had people hit me up about the same thing and, boots are one of those things and that's you almost have to put a disclaimer on anything you suggest i'm like go put them on and walk around the store see if you can you know and and you're never going to simulate you know a six mile hike in a store walking around but you know if it fits if it feels good it might be worth a try but still there's no guarantee you could do the first you know 700 vertical elevation gain on the trail and, and have a hot spot on the back of your foot and be in for a long, miserable day if you planned on, you know, hiking to the top of the mountain and back. So, and it's just kind of one of those things. So, yeah, no, for, for sure. Well, we're working on an hour and a half here. Um, we should probably go so I can actually do some real live work and especially Frank. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate you, uh, uh, coming on as well as um you know obviously working with kafaru as well as frank and i for the past few years it's been great can't can't thank you enough on my end 
No, absolutely, man. I mean, I've appreciated what you guys have done for me. And, and you know, so everybody knows I haven't I've, – I've bought packs from, from Trafargo. I mean, I'm not – You don't have I'm to lie. Ever, you don't now, have to lie, man. Now that I'm to the I'm point just, where – I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I've given, I've given opinions and I've, I've, you know, I've helped you guys out in certain situations. You know, I'm, I don't feel entitled at all. And if, if I had money that I was spending on a pack today, Kafara would definitely be, you know, right there at the top. You know, there's a lot of good options too. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think you tried to buy your last pack and I gave it to you, uh, or something. Yeah. I can't remember, but you did try to buy it. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? But I told him he could have one, but he'd owed me a soul. And then I'm like, damn, he doesn't have one. <laughs> I, I got a few to spare, Frank. You better, better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. All right. Well, man, cool. I appreciate, uh, appreciate everything. Like I said, and, and uh, maybe we'll get you back on at the end of the season and go over the trials and tribulations of two babies red hair and a stick bow <laughs> Baldy. absolutely i'm i'm planning on uh i'm getting it back out there a little more this year too with the with the stick bow so um i just i felt like i've i've had a hole in my life not not hunting with it the last two years because it's 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 definitely next level so but i appreciate it guys thanks for having me on thanks man yep take it easy